welcome to the Religious Studies Project. My name is Christopher Carter and I'm joined as ever by David Robertson. What have we got this week, Chris? This week we've got another interview that Brianne Fallon recorded for us at the EASR conference back in July. So we're glad to be getting that out now to you. And it's on death, music and ritual, contemporary requiems in the commemoration of death and violence with MJM Hundert. Apparently the only two certain things in life are death and taxes. In terms of the former, the requiem has held its grip up until contemporary times. While popular requiems, such as those composed by Mozart, are still performed, newly composed requiems or requiem-like pieces are growing in popularity in the Netherlands. To discuss the representation and interaction with death by contemporary composers, I have with me Associate Professor MJM Hunder. He is an Associate Professor in the Cultural Studies Department at Tilburg University. He focuses on music and death, repertoires in the crematorium, music and consolation, and music and grief, with recent publications including Liberating Rituals, published in the Dutch journal Pastoral Explorations, and the Jewish Requiem Commemorating the Second World War in the study of culture through the lens of ritual. Thank you very much for joining us today, Professor. Thank you for inviting me for this interview. I'm very happy to take part in the Religious Study Project. Great, we're very happy to have you. Um, now, if you could just start off by giving us some context in the area that you work in. I don't think many of us are familiar with contemporary requiems at all, really. Yeah, so, so I work at Tilburg University in the Netherlands, and we have their research group specialised in contemporary rituals, and within that research group I focus on music and ritual, and we especially, especially look to um, to new rituals in our society. So not only the religious rituals, but more the civic or the civil rituals, uh, which people use to cope with life, to give meaning to life, or to express their gratitude, or to, to celebrate feasts and festivals, things like that. And the Requiem is part of that, celebrating uh, life and death and commemorating deceased persons. And actually, in the Dutch culture, so the Netherlands is a very secularized uh, country, and within that country, you see a shift from uh, rituals which used to be part of the of the religious life of the life of the churches, which now occur emerge in the in the in the cultural life, you can say. And actually, the rapier is a very good example because it's it's a religious form and musical ritual, religious form which is linked to the liturgy. To the Roman Catholic liturgy and all the composers of the past centuries have written their requiem to commemorate uh, beloved ones, beloved deceased, but now we see the requiem performed outside the context of the liturgy, outside the context of the church, in the concert hall and, what is interesting for me, um, choirs organize so-called requiem concerts and on those concerts they, they link the music with commemorating the dead. So they program, for example, the Requiem concerts uh, in autumn, the end of the year, because that season uh, evokes that uh, kind of commemoration of the dead. And what I try to do in my research is to, to have a look at the contemporary Requiem compositions which are performed uh, at those Requiem concerts, and I link the ritual context of the concert 
with the, the endeavors of the of the composers to to say something about death. How do composers deal with death in our culture? And they use that old form of the requiem to to make sense of death and to 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 say something about their view of death and perhaps also afterlife. So. Do you think that there is a any sort of stark difference between sort of more traditional requiems and the ones that these contemporary composers are, are coming up with, or are they quite similar in the way they deal with death? No, there is a huge difference because when you uh, take the requiem out of the context of the liturgy and the church, you're free to compose whatever you want, and you're free to, to choose your own texts, your own lyrics, for example. So many composers use parts of the traditional Latin requiem, but they add new texts to it, or they uh, uh, get rid of some text they don't like, or they just change the whole text of the requiem. So that's one important thing. And making those choices in in, in lyrics, they they uh, say something. They they um, try to to find those texts which fit to their own view of death and afterlife. And then when they have chosen those lyrics, those new texts, it's interesting to see how they musicalize those texts, what kind of music fits to the text. Is it romantic, consoling music, or is it chaotic music which which goes, uh, which tells the story, the narrative of, uh, of how death is part of our culture, and how people uh, actually uh, cause death to each other. So many requiems, for example, many modern requiems are actually dealing not with death and afterlife, and I'm not consoling at all, but they deal with death as we people cause death. For example, in war, there are many uh, war requiems or requiems related to the Second World War or other wars or uh, uh, specific disasters in our culture which took place, atrocities, uh, genocide, for example, and a lot of composers deal with those atrocities through the requiem by composing a requiem. So there's this real cathartic sort of healing element to these more contemporary Sometimes yeah. it's healing, but sometimes it's it's confronting. Yeah. It's confronting the listener, but uh, confronting the, the listener with what we are actually doing in our culture with death and how we people uh, cause death in a, in a sometimes terrible way. And those those requiems, uh, for example, from the Polish composer Penderecki, it's a very noisy, uh, complex requiem which actually depicts in music, gives sounds to uh, the history of Poland in this uh, in this example, the history of, of, of rebellion and the history of uh, oppression in that country during the communist time. Uh, it's really interesting how um, you mentioned that this is kind of occurring separate from liturgy, in, particularly in the Netherlands in a secular context, yet music can be so ritualistic and so religious. So where do you think this, these new requiems sort of sit in sort of a religious spectrum, if we're going to use that term? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And actually, I'm, I'm, I'm still researching that question because it's a complex question. You have to do a lot of ethnographic research and interview a lot of participants. Um, so in, in my opinion, um, the Requiem concerts function really as a ritual and they also function as, let's say, sacred space. Uh, and temporarily, uh, it's, it's, it's not, not it's, it's a momentaneous uh, sacred space. So people go there uh, 
take time to commemorate the beloved deceased and perhaps afterwards they go to the graveyard or the cemetery to bring flowers and to pay respect to the to the dead. Um, so actually they do the same as religious people do when they go to church to the, to the All, uh, All Souls Day commemoration uh, in Roman Catholic Church for example. So they do the same but it's not linked anymore to the specific church environment but it's linked to, to the music and to the musical environment. So there are some religious elements in it but not in an institutionalized way. So it's, it's, it's um, so in our research group, we call this, we don't use the word religion actually, we use the words uh, uh, sacred acts and sacred space and uh, uh, sacralizing rituals and things like that to, to give uh, a concept, to use a concept that avoids the institutionalized context but ref refers to the way people deal with those complex questions of life and death and try to to find meaning in in something which is actually meaningless. Well, that, that's what they are doing. Through the music, they find some what I call musical knowledge about the meaning of life and death. And that's not the kind of knowledge which you can verbalize in a dogma or a doctrine, but it's a kind of consoling knowledge which you find for, for a moment in the music, and perhaps then it's gone again. It's um, a really fascinating idea, um, this idea of finding something in the music. Um, are there particular, you mentioned lyrics before, are there particular sort of images or ideas that crop up quite frequently in contemporary requiems? So um, I've analysed um, a, a few of the Dutch contemporary requiem or requiem-like compositions which have been composed the past few uh, years and I see some requiems, some composers using actually the religious language and also kind of religious sounds so they make use of, of uh, old techniques of composing music which we associate with religion and church but I also see some composers looking for new languages and they use, for example, uh, uh, poems by Dutch poets uh, which are not about religion, which are not a sp specific uh, religion-oriented, but which try to uh, relate life and death with each other. Um, and I think that's one of the main themes actually now in those contemporary compositions that through the text um, it's made clear that uh, death is part of life and actually that's not a consoling uh, message which is given by the text but it's more just the, the fact it is you have to cope with death and that's what you have to do um, and some composers add consoling music to that message uh, but other composers um, try to find a musical language which is as disturbing as the message of the of the lyrics of the of the poem for example so so to mention one example i analyzed a composition called lamento it's by anthony fumara a dutch composer um he's a young musician of my age uh, i think and um the the poem he uses is about grief Morning, so the, the eye of the poem is, is grieving because someone has died, and 
he can't find the words to say something about the pain he feels. And what happens in the music is that the, the music doesn't, doesn't go anywhere. It's just going around and around and around and then it's over. So what you see is that the, the music reinforces the language of the, of, the, of the poem and as a listener you feel very uncomfortable afterwards because you can feel the pain through the music and through the words of the, of the, of the poem and that's it, you have to deal with it. Yeah, I definitely want to see one, they sound very interesting. I was wondering if there was a particular um, example that you wanted to, to share with us of one that particularly jumps out at, at you, that you really like or makes you particularly uncomfortable or some respondents mm. mention. Perhaps a good requiem to mention also for, for listeners which are not uh, familiar with the Dutch culture and the Dutch requiem composition because they are very hard to find you know, and there are recordings of it uh, because it's so new material. But one that has been recorded is by Carl Jenkins, a UK composer. He composes requiem in 2004. Uh, it's really a good example of a contemporary requiem because he uses um, text from the Latin classical traditional requiem, but he also uh, uses some Japanese haikus. And in those haikus, um, you see the image of, of nature which dies and lives again. So there is a, a message of reincarnation or something like that. You can read it in it if you want to. Um, and he uses three types of music in his requiem. So the more traditional language, which referred to, to Mendelssohn and Brahms, so the romantic traditional language of the requiem, uh, and a kind of hip-hop music, uh, which is linked to the Dies Irae, which is it's about uh, death, which is caused by man, and it's a very a powerful music at the three months of of of, uh, of Karl Orff, the Karl Burana, and the, uh, the the hip hop scene. So very powerful music. And then you have those Japanese haikus with a kind of Japanese music sung by the women of the choir and typical Japanese instruments. So you have three quite different atmospheres of uh, of, of of music and also different types of texts. And he just uh, puts them together, next to each other. So uh, there is no structure in it, it's not going anywhere. It's, it's as if he says to us, as a composer, Jenkins says to us, this is how we deal with that. Some are consoling and looking for the romantic sound. Some are more uh, uh, dealing with, with fear for death and others look for, uh, for the Eastern culture and look for uh, reincarnation uh, messages about, uh, about death. So it, it's a kind of really eclectic postmodern requiem. Um, he's not making a choice and he's also not forcing us into one of those directions, but he just says, here it, here it is, listen to it and make up your own mind about what you think about death, what your view of death and afterlife is. And I think that's a good example of a postmodern eclectic requiem which fits to our culture, because that's our culture, that's the postmodern culture dealing with death in so many different ways, and he's trying to give sound to all those ways in which we deal with death in our culture. Um, that example just kind of spurred me onto a, a thought do you think that these contemporary requiems have come out of 
this sort of uh, postmodern spiritual marketplace where you pick and choose sort of different parts of different religions and what suits you or if we use the word secularization to sort of move away from institutionalized religion do you think that the rise in these is connected with those sorts of ideas or do you think they're just a, a new phenomenon on their own so I think the, the example I gave uh, of, of Jenkins' uh, Requiem is a good example of, of that postmodern um, Requiem. But it's very, so I, I can't say there is, there is not very much structure in, in the Requiem composition. So there are so many Requiems, that, that's in, an interesting fact uh, for itself, that there are so many composers dealing with that old form of the Requiem because they want to say something in music about death and sometimes also afterlife. Um, I think if there is one um, main structure direction in composing the Requiem, then it is uh, about that, the, the fact that people cause death. So I think that's a lot of requiems deal with atrocities and, and especially the first and the second world war that led to a lot of compositions of the requiem. Um, so they are commemorative. So they are not they are not praying or pleading for, for for mercy or rest, but they are accusing people of causing death. Yeah. That's what was happening a lot of requiems, but not all of them. So there are a lot of differences and that, that's interesting because that's that's, I think, uh, one of the characteristics of our culture, that, that you have to make up your own mind, you have to find your own way of dealing with death and all the institutionalized um, views of death um, are not valuable anymore or, or you have to choose for it, but, but they are not automatically uh, important in our culture anymore. Um, you just uh, mentioned afterlife there. We've talked a bit about um, death and the idea of commemorating um, the cause of death. Um, and I heard you say reincarnation. Um, is the representation of afterlife um, quite uh, varied across all of the different types of requiems you've come across? Yeah, I think it's, it's part of the requiem tradition that you use the word requiem. Requiem means rest. So uh, a dominant Im image uh, still is death as a kind of sleep. But that's because of the tradition of the Requiem, because uh, the composers use that form. Um, but I'm not sure that they really think of death as a kind of sleep. Um, and there is a, a theological background to that image of Requiem and sleep and wake up and uh, you can rise with Christ and things like that. But I don't think they use that image actually. So they use the word and they use the form of the Requiem, but they add new elements to it. Um, and I, I don't see many new um, images of afterlife. Um, so I, I analyzed one requiem by a Dutch composer um, which used the, the, the image of, of gemstones and those gemstones um, um, absorb the night and, and give new light. 
Perhaps that's a new image, but of course the image of light and death is quite traditional. So is it new or not? I'm not sure. So um, there is the, 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 the example of Jenkins with the Japanese haikus and reincarnation is perhaps the, the, the most... Uh, he, he's, he's really trying to find and uh, incorporate new images in his, in his rapium, but other composers just don't. They are more about mourning, grief and death as a fact of life, and they are not looking beyond the border of life to afterlife. I think that these are like such a, a great example of the way that uh, religion and religious sort of ritual is, is reworked and sort of transformed with the way the culture is moving. Particularly when you mentioned hip hop, I just think you know that just says to me the way that it's sort of adapting all the time. Yeah. It's something that's kind of come up at the ESR conference quite a bit. Um, I might wrap it up there, if that's okay with you. Did you have anything else you wanted to say? No, it was uh, very nice to have this conversation about my research. and um, So I hope to publish about those rapiums uh, I've done before and uh, I have to publish, I want to publish about uh, the, the Dutch rapium composition because they are so unknown. It's an in interesting new uh, genre of, of composing and I think those, those rapium concerts which we see in the Netherlands, but also in the UK, for example, uh, is, is a good example of studying religion outside the borders and outside the walls of the, of, of the church and see how those um, uh, religious rituals are now cultural rituals and looking for a new kind of religion as a meaning-making practice in our culture. So I think it's, it's, it's uh, nice research to do. We definitely look forward to your publication. Thank you again so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for that. Um, great to have another interview from Brianne. Um, quickly becoming one of our go-to interviewers and definitely our most productive Antipodean interviewer at the moment. But Chris, you've you've got some engagements with Requiems as well, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, every year we, we sing, my choir sings the 4A Requiem at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe. Um, and we do it twice and it makes us a lot of money. <laughs> now tell me, are you doing religion there? Well, that is the key thing, you know, it's a, it's a concert, notionally secular, but performing, um, words that are from a hegemonically religious context and something that would have been performed at Requiem Masses. Is it religion? Is it secular? I don't know. Are people having religious experiences or, you know? I guess it probably comes down to whether you mean it. I mean, if if you're doing it with faith and intentionality, then it's probably religious. No, 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 David. No, I, <laughs> as observers, you know, if you play the alien card, an, an observer who doesn't know about the context or who knows about requiems comes in to a church and sees the choir performing a requiem mass. What's there to distinguish that? Um, how do you know the intentionality of social actors? I guess your your language choice though makes it quite clear. It's a requiem mass. It's no a song about death. Yeah, indeed. Anyway, I'm delighted to tell you that the RSP is this week brought to you as always by the BASR and the NASR. But this week, for the first time, by the IAHR. Dude, we're going to have to add these all up into one big acronym. 
Yes, the um, International <laughs> Association for the History of Religions um, are now joining our board of generous sponsors. So um, we're now even more sponsored, which means we're just even better. And I'm particularly happy about this because when Chris and I started the project, the project was designed to be international from the start. And now we're recognized and supported by the International Association for the History of Religions, the global body representing our field. And I personally find that enormously gratifying it's great and we're looking forward to um closer collaboration with them due to that relationship so hopefully that will facilitate um furthering our international scope and getting some international voices heard um we haven't been thus far absolutely now the seasonal holiday is coming up call it what you will i usually say christmas but that reflection of the hegemony uh in which i live But whatever you call it, you're probably buying things on Amazon. So do please use our Amazon affiliate links, .co.uk.com and .ca, over the festive season, however you call it, Festivus, because we will get uh, a small cut of Amazon's profits and in buying your Christmas presents, uh, so your seasonal holiday presents, you will be supporting the RSP at no additional cost to yourself. And it really does make a big difference. So please do consider doing that. Absolutely does. And remember to check out our Facebook, Twitter, Google+, iTunes, and YouTube, which Tommy's been doing a fantastic job on recently, getting YouTube sort of nicely tagged and sparkly. And, of course, come back next week to hear the next instalment of our Sock Girl series, which is me speaking with Matthew Francis on researching radicalization. But, as always, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening.